start alternating war between the blessings God has for his people and the sinful present. Some of these chapters tend, I think, more to synthesize the first section and 40 to 55, in that you've got more focus than you had in 40 to 55 on some of the sins of the people in Isaiah's day. So we're kind of going back and forth a little bit more with the contrast between the future blessings and the sinful present. But what he's done in 53, we saw the atonement. 54, we see the blessings coming from that. In 55, you see the invitation for people to take advantage of those blessings. But I'll tell you one of the questions that might come as you see the invitation coming to enjoy the waters and the milk and the wine that God provides is, for whom is that blessing? God is inviting who to enjoy that? Because there were some who throughout Israel's history were excluded from the assembly of God's people. How broad is this invitation? Chapter 56, verses 1 through 8. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For should my salvation will come, and my deliverance will be revealed. Blessed is a man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, If the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Now let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, and hold back my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument, and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. They shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. The burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him, besides those already gathered. Okay. So in 1 and 2, what is it that the Lord wants to be able to bless his people? Justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. Now, that was the very problem that led to God's punishing them. You might look all the way back as far as chapter 5 with the uh, wild grapes and the point made there is God looked for justice and righteousness, and that's not what they gave him. So what does God want in order to be able to bring these blessings? He wants them to do justice and righteousness. And he makes that specific in verse 2 in a way that we might not have chosen to make it specific. In verse 2, what does he want the man to do? So at one point, what did 
You know, think about keeping the Sabbath. I mean, what kind of a command was the Sabbath command? If you'd have been an Israelite, keeping the Sabbath or not keeping the Sabbath, how much difference does that make to you? Keep it or not changes what for you? Your attitude. I'm saying your in your everyday life. You know, hey, you'd, you'd uh, do business on the Sabbath and uh, you'd uh, do what they did in Nehemiah's day. Yeah. I mean, the Sabbath command was not just some little something that you could sort of add to your life and keep right on going, or some little something that you just kind of subtract and doesn't really change anything. I mean, the Sabbath command necessitated a wholesale reorganization of your life. You know, I mean, this, this totally changes the pattern of your week. You've got a day where you don't do anything. You worship God on that day or what, but you don't, you don't connect any business. I mean, they didn't even cook on the Sabbath day. You know, they went to gather sticks on the Sabbath day and that sort of thing. The Sabbath command was an excellent barometer of one's spiritual condition, but you wouldn't keep that command. If you weren't really, uh, you know, at least willing to to make some pretty cool, pretty radical changes in your lifestyle, I think that makes the Sabbath command just a good gauge of, of people's willingness to at least do something challenging, you know, for the Lord. Um, he's going to come back to that in the end of chapter 58 as well. And uh, so, you know, if, if he's talking about, you know, commitment to the Lord, a very good way of measuring that in the Old Testament was, you keep the Sabbath. Um, so, basically, what does he want in order to be able to bless the people of God? He wants them to serve him. Now, it's typical in the Old Testament, when he looks to the future, that he describes it in the terms that the people understood it. You know, he looked at future blessings and talks about, you know, having uh, abundant prosperity in the land. He may be thinking about heaven, but he talks of it in terms that they could relate to. And I think the same thing is true in terms of keeping the requirements. He did not say here, you know, uh, how blessed is the man who, uh, who, who protects the Lord's Supper or something. Now, it wouldn't have made any sense to them. You know, he, he puts it in terms of what they relate to, but the idea is a commitment to the expressed will of God for them. In the era Isaiah wrote, that was expressed by keeping the Sabbath and things like that. For us, you know, it's expressed by, by other things. We understand from a passage like Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17, that God does not expect us today to keep the weekly Sabbath, not, not even the annual Sabbath. We actually live in the Sabbath. We have a continual rest that Jesus provides. But he's expressing this in terms that would have fit those that he was writing to in terms of if you've got to dedicate yourself to doing what God says and what better way to describe that as keeping the Sabbath. Do you have a question or comment? Yes. Is this profaning here, is that an attitude towards the Sabbath? No, I think it's just breaking the Sabbath. Yeah, breaking the Sabbath. Yeah, breaking the Sabbath. Yeah, not not good. It's, it's a breaking. Yeah, I'm not sure that this was the smallest part, but yes, you know, it's a... Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. You, you submit, 
you know, no matter how difficult that is or how much uh, rearrangement of your lifestyle that requires. Look. Is there any way in the Old Testament for a Gentile to be saved except uh, by converting to Judaism? Well, that's a whole other question, but I would answer that. Was Noah saved? Was he a Jew? Now, could have been a Jew. Abraham hadn't come along yet. I suspect that Gentiles could be in the same relationship with God Noah was, even after God called Abraham. That's the short answer. I was going to say, the Ninevites in Jonah's day weren't called to become Jews. They were called to repent. Sure. Good point. Alright. So, but how broad is this? Well, verse 3. Let not the foreigner say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. And then he flips that and deals with the eunuchs in 4 and 5 and the foreigners in 6 to 8. You've got a chiasm. Because the foreigners and the eunuchs would not have been seen as a part of God's special people. There were requirements for being in the assembly of God's people. And, you know, foreigners were not accepted unless they were proselytes. Eunuchs were not accepted. People with various physical deformities, Deuteronomy 23, you know, and, and several other passages in the law, were not permitted to be a part of the assembly of God's people. But now, in this invitation to drink the wine and milk that Jesus provides, those distinctions are obliterated. Now the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths and chooses what pleases me. You know, there's no right of, you know, personal decision in the kingdom of God. You choose what he wants you to choose. But the eunuch who does that, who holds back my covenant, well, he's got a, a memorial in my house. He's got a name better than sons and daughters. He's got an everlasting name who will not be cut off, which is interesting. You know, there's, there's uh, one particular uh, characteristic of a eunuch is he doesn't have a way of perpetuating his name. You know, his, his lineage will be cut off by definition. But not in Christ, he will have uh, an everlasting name that won't die out. Uh, so, in, in Christ, God's blessings relate only to behavior. There's no more uh, exclusion based on, you know, physical condition or external condition or whatever. Now, can you think of how this, uh, a particular example of this being fulfilled in the New Testament? You know, there was a eunuch, uh, ironically, or perhaps by design, that, African official. Yeah, an African politician that was, uh, you know, uh, authorized or, or was, was accepted among God's people. Are you think? You know, that we probably have read that most of the time. I have, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch, you know. I don't really think about that. I mean, you know, uh, depending on, you know, how... Uh, how much we've uh, read and heard, you know, I, I've hear, heard people pronounce that about every different way that it can be pronounced, you know. We don't really relate too much to that. But that is really significant. This is a eunuch who's being accepted in, among God's people. And he'd gone up to the temple to worship. He wouldn't have gotten into this. 
You know, he would, he would not have been accepted as a legitimate member uh, of the Jewish assembly, but he is in Christ. What a blessing. What, a, what an exciting time. And it's not just the youth, the foreigners. In verse 6, who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love his name, to be his servants, who keep from remaining a Sabbath, hold fast the covenant. I'll bring them to my holy mountain. Their offerings and sacrifices will be accepted. You know, God will gather them, God will bless them. They're welcome as full participants. Right alongside the Jews. Remind you of many passages, but like John 10, 16, which he said, I've got other sheep that are not of this fold. I'm going to bring them into the Gentiles. So, in Christ, the invitation is irrespective of, of, of race or physical traits, if you want to call them. Comments and thoughts. Yes, Roger. Just that idea of the unit being converted in Acts chapter 8. He was even reading Isaiah 53, so I don't know if that's kind of weird. That he was reading Isaiah 53 in there. Uh, it's incredible, I can believe. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Philip went on down the scroll and said, "Look at here." He'd have been a unique anaphorner. Yeah, maybe. And we don't really know if he was Ethiopian by race or only by nationality. Maybe. Although, the, the however to that is the Gentiles really were being converted at that time. So I suspect he was a Jew who was in Ethiopia. Other thoughts? So, that the uh, blessings for foreigners and for eunuchs. Uh, but we come back to the present reality. Bring it. Yes. And then Jesus, like all of a sudden, starts to say that the time has come. Do you think? Yes. I think he's making reference back to this passage. Yeah. I mean, this, and, and, and it is an indication that Jesus' mission was to broaden the entrance to God's people to the Gentiles as well. Absolutely. What is that in? Uh, that's in what? Uh, Matthew 21. What? Passage for that. Jesus cited that Matthew 21. I think so. It's in there somewhere. All right, another question. Yes, Stacy. Uh, so yeah, it's that this blessing for the foreigners is for me. Like, yes. That most of us, maybe all of us, are.
Anything else? But we come back to the present time, and things are not so good in Isaiah's day. Verses 
I guess that'd be the and, and shepherds. I mean, the the terms watchmen and shepherds would refer to spiritual leaders. So I'm guessing like the high priest, this guy, and the prophets and the princes and really all of the all the leadership of God's people was intended to be spiritual leadership. Even even the political leaders were supposed to be spiritual. And so you just got a lot of passages in the Old Testament prophets, especially talking say about the shepherds. That that's what they refer to. Jay. It's also weird that they're the problem is the blind people are uh, first thing this leader should see the problems and they're not even seeing the problems. They didn't see the problems when you remark about it. Uh, so we need to be leaders who will not only be willing to uh, address problems, but also have the wisdom you know, to see the problems. It's both of them together. Amen. Other thoughts? Besides contrast of before um, he rejected people being accepted, and then these leaders would be the ones who were being respected in the community and were being rejected. It's the same thing as the author of the gospel. Definitely. You had plenty of shepherds like this in Jesus' day. (laughs) Dustin? This could relate back to Isaiah chapter 5 when it's saying, Woe to those who do this, woe to those who do that. Uh, verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and are clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes and drink the wine and valiant men and mixing strong women who justify the wicked for a bride and take away the rights of ones who are in the right. Uh, it, I feel like we could both of those go uh, go together, yet these are men who are supposed to be standing before people and supposed to be preaching the good words. Yeah, I think the picture here fits very well into those first chapters of Isaiah. You see that same picture. That's exactly right. That's why I'd say that there's a sense in which it seems to me that these last chapters of Isaiah to some extent merge more the present and the future kind of alternating back and forth. You had the present mostly in 1 to 35. You had the future mostly in 40 to 55. Now you kind of go back and forth. Other thoughts? John? Well, these leaders are referred to as dumb dogs. They're, they're foresighted, definitely. You know, not good at all. Uh, but why has it become that way? Is it they're selfish. They're lazy. So it's not absence of God's word. It's just... Well, God's word was there. They just weren't respecting it. They weren't paying attention to it. Yeah. It looks like they're manipulating the system too for unrighteous gain, and they're turning to their own, turning to their own ways. Exactly. Self-seeking. John. Yeah, back to JD's comment about elders. This makes me think about how important it is. That men are truly qualified who are put in that responsibility and not just well we need somebody who can fill that role so better somebody than nobody and we'll just stick someone in. This is the kind of result you can get if you follow that approach. It's really a tragedy to have bad shepherds. Think about to a flock of sheep what it would mean to have shepherds who are self-indulgent, going their own way and totally oblivious to the dangers to the flock. Anything else? Brick up. It's like they're, they were lying down about the slumber, probably until you think they're, they're just strong drink away from them, then they'll probably get up. Reminds me of Pharisees and Jesus' day when, when they're, what they're doing in the temple. And then Jesus 
just calls it a house of prayer, according to this text, and kicks them out, and then they got mad. Not that God's temple is being complete. Yes. Yeah, it reminds you of Joel 1, where the drunkards start howling when they cut off the grapes and the wine. Biden continues really talking about the people as a whole, the nation as a whole. It's a 